back, recording shows back to back. Uh, this is the Cinematic Tangent. I'm one of your hosts, Chad Michael Van Olsen, and the other host is, of course, the great Bradley Rudder. Hi, that's me. Brad, uh, we're talking 65 today, and we're also talking the new film with Guy Ritchie, Operation Fortune, and I'm not even going to pronounce this, Ruse de Guerre. <laughs> what is it mean? It's like the... I, I... Guerre is is war in French, and I, ruse. I'm not sure exactly what the translation is, but it's like a like a trick or a joke. Or... You know what it means to me? Fuck Macron. Support the protest. Vive la Revolution. Write your thoughts. You're so radical. <laughs> My sister-in-law was actually in Paris. <laughs> this is too funny. My sister-in-law went to Paris last week. We're recording this on four three, which is the day that before Trump gets arrested. And uh, my sister-in-law was going to France, and my brother was like, I'm not going to go to Paris. Like, there's riots going on right there. And my sister-in-law was just like, no, in Paris, it's beautiful. They just sit around drinking wine and eating croissants. My brother was like, no, Paris, like, France is, like, known for its riots. So she gets there, and she's texting me from the plane. And then she goes she goes dark for a while, and I text my brother. And he's like, I haven't heard from her for in a bit or whatever. But it turned out that she was on the street in Paris. The riots came through. They had to lock themselves in a business while people were terrorizing it on the street. They had to hide inside of a restaurant. <laughs> Did she have a croissant? Yeah, she was like, oh, I had a wine and a croissant. And enjoy, enjoyed people playing violins on the street. <laughs> Paris is a peaceful place. <laughs> uh, awesome. I do support the protest, though. Anyway, welcome to Cinematic Tangent. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, as I said, Jeff and Olsen. Brad, we're going to jump into uh, these movies in a minute, but I, uh, Oscars just happened not too long ago, so I want to go over some stuff with that. And I also want to start, actually, with a quick comment here. This is a little bit ago at this point in time. Uh, we haven't recorded a show in a while, but I thought these these comments by uh, Chris Pine were really, really interesting, and they speak to a lot of the stuff we talk on the show regarding the film business. Uh, and he's talking about Star Trek specifically. So this is from IGN. Uh, I think they're uh, quoting The Hollywood Reporter here, but I'll just read the quotes themselves. Uh, Pine says about the films, I would say it's frustrating. Uh, it doesn't really foster a great sense of partnership, but it is how it's always been. I love the character. I love the people meaning Star Trek. I love the franchise, but to try to change the system in which things are created, I just can't do it and I don't have the energy. He goes on. I'm not sure Star Trek was ever built to do the kind of business uh, that they're like meeting the business they have now in Hollywood. This is a bad quote. by. Um, I always thought, why aren't they just appealing to this really rabid group? Why are they making movies for a good? Why aren't they making the movie for a good price and going out a merry way instead of trying to compete with the Marvels in the Marvel world? So his comment on this is basically he's talking about how like the films don't make enough profit for what like Hollywood deems profitable, and they're putting all this kind of like technical work and CGI into them instead of appealing to Star Trek fans. And he basically considers the concept of like Star Trek movies somewhat hopeless in the current environment, and he's kind of given up on them. I thought this was fascinating and really interesting. Um, because it's something like this is, you know, Star Trek's a big Hollywood franchise, but I think it really has at its core before the Abrams movies and stuff, a really low key base. Like you have nerds like myself mm -hmm. that are really interested in kind of like, you know, science fiction and like the philosophical nature of Star Trek. And, uh, instead of making movies appealing to fans like me over the years, they've made these big CGI spectacles. He's saying that this is like incompatible with the modern business. Cause they just don't profit enough in the way Marvel's do Marvel movies do. Brett, what do you think about this? I think this is really interesting. Yeah, I think that's a pretty insightful quote, and it's kind of sad. And, you know, on the last show, <laughs> you're talking about, like, the death of cinema, and I think this is uh, one of the bricks on the road to it. <clears throat> I think so, I too. Know. It's kind of sad. And, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like, 
we talk about like you know Hollywood blockbusters. You and I both miss them. We were talking about Avatar, which is again when we were talking about sort of the death of movies, the big the big budget, whatever. Everything that comes out now is held to the high standard of it must be like this profitable thing, and not only be profitable in in its own isolated way. Star Trek movies have to be profitable for the next movie that's inevitably going to come. You have to constantly create a franchise, an endless series of films. Basically, what they're doing with I think Star Wars would maybe be a better analogy here to a lot of degree. Mm. Um, I don't know. I find this really wild because like Star Trek, there's no we're a limitless legion of fans. Like, you know, like I know so many Trekkies, you go to any kind of like science fiction convention or any kind of nerdy convention, go to a game store, you'll meet tons of Trekkies. You know, I've mm-hmm. seen every episode of the original show, every Next Generation, every Deep Space Nine. I love them. Uh, and everything after that is kind of hit or miss. Um, and, you know, like I haven't had a Star Trek show appeal to me in a long time. I've talked about the Orville on the show and how much I like it. And, uh, um, you know, because I think that even though that's a, you know, that's a parody and a comedy, like to a lot of degree, I think it's sort of capturing what made Star Trek really cool. It's going for much a, like a low key kind of special effects in favor of like good sci-fi stories. It's sad that no one feels they can make a movie like that anymore. I don't know. I thought this was really interesting because I'd been wondering what was happening with Star Trek Four. We had been, you know, reading about how like Tarantino was writing a script, keeps falling through yeah. all this kind of mania. Like you realize that this is obviously just in development hell at this point. So. Yeah, definitely. Well, especially after the third one, which was kind of a disaster. That's I mean, the first two shitty. were kind were kind of hits, and you know, and then the third one, uh, I didn't even see the third one. Dude, it looked I terrible, can't even and the they had that fucking Beastie about. Boys song in the trailer. <laughs> yeah, no, the Beastie Boys song is not only a trailer; it's in the movie. <laughs> it was sabotage, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it sucks. I can't stand it, dude. I don't even fucking remember what it's about. Like, in the idea that you can't remember the plot to something that Star Trek is really fucking wild. So, yeah. Even then, they were just trying to capture the kind of Marvel movie magic. I think because you know, who, yeah. Who that's kind of. I think. I think part of part of what he's talking about too is just the the worldwide appeal too. Because even if it is successful in America, it has to be successful in 97 other countries in order to actually be a success so you know i don't know if if like a highly plot driven like kind of philosophical space adventure is interesting to chinese people yeah, I, I, I agree. And like uh, Chris Gore, again, I'm a big fan of him, film thread over there. I'm going to put the video in the show notes, but he has a really good monologue about how like films in America, they no longer have an identity anymore because they're made for the international audience. <clears throat> it was one of the reasons yeah. that I was sort of defending Top Gun 2 because I felt like it was the first true American Hollywood blockbuster to come out a long time where like they even told the Chinese to like fuck off. They didn't censor the film, you know. Um, I don't know. I like that. Uh, I think the movie's really mediocre and average in a lot of ways if you go back to our show uh we did a really good conversation on it but yeah and like you know you're spot on with that like you're no longer making a movie just to like for people in the u.s to consume and enjoy you're making a film for entire diverse cultures all over the world and when you're doing that it's inherently going to be bad because we're all different like we're not all a united Mm -hmm. people in terms of what we enjoy and like what we we deem as profitable especially when you're dealing with like big regimes like china where they have certain quality controls and censorship and all that kind of stuff so well you know and i think it's more than that too because it's not only that you're not going to satisfy everybody but like it's like are you going to satisfy anybody? Because if you're trying to satisfy everybody, then you're not even making something that's sort of like true to you or interesting or has, has like a point of view. It's just kind of a generic attempt to, you know, be a crowd pleaser. 
you know, like we're, we're about to talk about the Oscars too. And like everything everywhere all at once pretty much swept everything. And like, I think it came out of nowhere and surprised people because it like, it wasn't, it wasn't trying to like satisfy the global market. It was just like this weird movie that these guys made. Like, I don't know. I don't think that happens with like a, a mega budget, certainly not with a mega budget, but like, I don't think that happens with even like a, a, a modest budget anymore. I agree. Where... And like, I have to eat shit on everything everywhere. Cause I don't like the movie, but you're a hundred percent spot on with like how unique it was and stuff. And, uh, you know, like the fact that it was now, I, <clears throat> I told you this privately, I don't know if this ever made it at the show. Cause we've lost so many shows now, but like, I was excited. It was nominated for best picture and I was excited for it to win best picture as well. I thought it was really, really cool that it wasn't just like the traditional Hollywood shit going up there. Cause like I, I've sort of softened in that movie over time. Um, you know, but like I also, so I guess we'll talk about the Oscars now. I also find it sort of odd that it swept, it swept all the Oscars, which I honestly, like I find hard to believe that like it was supposed to win all these awards. And then instead yeah. of winning on its merits as a film and as a unique indie production, doing something kind of unique and cool that maybe people really enjoy. Um, like instead it became all about the fact that like Asian people were in it and it became this mm-hmm. culmination of the T stop Asian hate movement. And I feel like mm-hmm. that negates, <laughs> negates what I was excited about in the first place. Mm-hmm. I just find, like, I feel like again, wokeness has shot itself in the foot and set itself back because this film could have stood on its own merits. And instead I watched some of the Oscars. I've read like some coverage of the awards, the wokest Oscars of all time, all this kind of stuff the fact that the movie is made by Asians and has an Asian cast and stuff, whatever, it's literally to the, it's almost to the degree of racism. We well, just captured you know it in a different funny? way. <laughs> like, I, I think I, like, I can't remember exactly. We, we did two shows on that movie. Um, and I, I can, I don't know if they're both up, but like, I remember thinking, yeah. yeah, I remember thinking, and I don't know if I made the point on the show, but like part of the reason I liked it is because it, it didn't do any of that. Like it was just a movie where it, it was just Asian characters. That's, that's just what it was about. It was about this Asian family that owned a laundromat. Like it didn't, it didn't like throw that. It didn't make that front and center. Like that was the interesting thing. It was just, it, they were Asian and were also interesting people. You know, it's just like, I, it's so sad that the Academy has to do that because I mean, again, it's just one of those things where they're, they're just grasping for relevance. Um, they are, but I actually think it's a little darker know. than that. Uh, again, <laughs> I'm sorry that I have to comment in front of DeBoer here. Had a good piece during Black History Month last year where he talked about he was sitting at a coffee shop and they had a big poster up about black achievements. And he realized that, like, the coffee shop full of white people, it seemed like the sort of way they're saying of, like, look, the blacks, like, we've helped uplift them. They're almost like us. He felt like it was inherently kind of racist. I Again, like, this is somewhat controversial. Frida Boer is a great writer. I'm going to put it in the show notes. But that's how I sort of felt about this. It's like it was less racist to just have the movie stand on its own merits and be mm-hmm. a film that people enjoyed that you felt deserved the award. Once you're having yeah. it be the celebration of culture, it feels like white people, again— I, I don't know, man. I can't help but feel like this is like inherently it, racist and weird. I just I yeah, feel, it's it's it's, it's basically like, hey, look, they can do it too. Right? It's fucking weird, dude. Do you remember those fucking yeah, conversations we used to have with people when you were younger? When like you'd be a female director and they'd be like, well, you know, like I liked it because a woman directed, it. and you're like, yeah, but is the movie good? And it's just like, well, mm-hmm. we hold women to a lesser standard, I guess. It's the same thing here. It's fucking yeah. stupid. I just don't. I don't yeah. get how this helps anybody at all. <laughs> it, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that, that Freddie DeBoer article because I've never read that, but uh, I remember this last year, and then I noticed it again this year. 
like for for February Target puts out like this big thing at the, like the entrance of the store of like Black History Month and they have like vinyl records of like Marvin Gaye and stuff and it's like stuff that like I, they don't normally promote or whatever. And then <laughs> you know, and they had like his like t-shirts and shit too. And uh and then on like March 2nd I went in there and it's like the same the same setup except it's all on clearance. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> Oh, I guess we don't care about that anymore. <laughs> like, it just made me laugh. <laughs> well, they won't see it then because the month is over. They're back to their normal yeah, upper middle class lives. Oh, yeah. We, we don't care about Marvin Gaye on vinyl anymore. with Operation Fortune here uh, for Guy Ritchie because we're going to bust right through this one really quick. Uh, Why don't you start us out because you saw this movie basically twice uh, and much more recently than I have. Well, one and a half times. Um, Yeah, it's sort of like a a Guy Ritchie's take on like a James Bond type character and it's Jason Statham and sort of like convoluted plot but it's basically like a secret agent type thing or a secret agent team has to like infiltrate this arms dealer and they have to recruit some Hollywood actor to do it because they have to like schmooze with them. I don't know. To be honest, I, the reason I saw this one and a half times was because I walked out after like an hour the first time because I had no idea what the fuck was going on. Uh, it's extremely convoluted. Um, but seeing it again, I actually think there's like some kind of nuance to it that I sort of appreciated to an extent. Um, but I, I don't know. I so I agree with you on I don't know. the first <laughs> act. I honestly, uh, I didn't know what was happening for like the first half hour, but I did enjoy it. I think that guy Richie, I'm I'm a fan. Um, I watched the Sherlock movies just before this. I think he's really really good at crafting a scene. Uh, he has excellent kind of like. Old, almost like old school Hollywood dynamics between the characters, but like they all play sort of an archetypical role. Like, I'm sorry, an archetypical role. Um, the dynamics between the genders and stuff is always really interesting. Is women are very, very feminine, very, very powerful in their femininity, um, and like, I, I mean, so it was cool and it was fun. But I would be lying if I said I knew what was happening for the first half hour of the film. But I got the gist, right? It's like these competing private contractors uh, fighting for contracts in some sort of game of spies that I don't completely understand. <laughs> are they private contractors? I thought they actually worked for the British government. They are contract. Okay, so I think that I'm correct on this. They're con. Contractors that have contracts with the British government, but they don't actually work for the government. I think it's supposed to be like a military industrial complex kind of private spy company kind of thing. Okay. I think. I don't know. This is, I'm not like doing it. I really don't really know, but I think that's what it's yeah, supposed to be. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I thought you were going to do a plot description of this. Uh, when you threw it to me, I didn't know what to say. Well, because I don't know what to see either, man. I'll just say this. Like, I don't really know what happened in the movie. After a while, you start getting the gist between the characters. Uh, and like, again, it's sort of like a, a more comedic version of like a James Bond kind of spy film. All I'll say is that I don't know if I understood the plot. I don't know if I was really rooting for anybody, but like 
Jason Statham was cool in the movie. Um, you know, I thought that a lot of the, the larger like spy sequences, like there's a really cool one on a boat where they bring this actor on the boat and like he's got to be an actor, but also play himself. Um, and like, I thought it was a really cool, like spy game kind of dynamic where like this beautiful woman is trying to like, you know, hustle this fucking super rich billionaire. And like, they're trying to take his, you know, like take his money or maybe that's later in the movie. I'm not really sure now. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a mess. It's a disaster. But like, did I enjoy it while I was watching it? Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. Like, I, I guess I, I didn't enjoy it the first time, but. Uh, sort of watching it the second time, you know, actually that's not even true. Like it's not that I wasn't enjoying it or I guess I wasn't, but it's not that I thought it was terrible. Um, it's just that like at a certain point I realized I wasn't getting anything out of it. Like I wasn't being entertained and I had no idea it was going on. It was just like staying for another hour plus was just not going to be of any value to me. Um, but then I rented it and watched it again. I, I actually think the first like half of it, 45 minutes or so is actually kind of fun. And I think this, like the sort of the way that Guy Ritchie plays with like the spy genre is kind of fun. And, uh, I don't know. I think this is Jason Statham's, like, this is kind of his, I don't like, this is the role that he should be playing. Like I, I like when he's like the kind of a tough guy, but, He's not like the meathead sort of tough guy. He's like, because in this, he's sort of like clever and nuanced and like yeah, he's he can, a good actor, actually. He way. actually is like <laughs> this kind of, you know, he Guy Ritchie like sort of discovered him or at least, you know, broke him um, with like Lock, Sock and Two Spoken Barrels and Snatch. And like, you know, it was a lot of like clever dialogue and, um, you know, like. Actual like kind of nuanced acting that he does in those movies, and like he's bringing that here with the sort of you know the baggage of twenty years of sort of tough guy performances. So he's kind of like doing a hybrid, and it really works. Like I actually I really like Jason Statham in this movie. Me too. Um, yeah, he's excellent now. But you know, again, if you ask me what's going on, I. Can't really answer it. I, I so like I guess I sort of agree with you that I enjoyed the dynamic between the sort of team because it's like Aubrey Plaza's in it and Carrie Elwes is sort of like the team leader or like the I don't know. I guess Jason Statham is sort of like the point man or whatever. But J, uh, Carrie Elwes is sort of like their their government contact or something. And like I don't know. Like I, I think there's some there's some like clever stuff that that happens. In, in the first hour, but I don't know. After that, I think it just becomes sort of like a generic mess. Um, I actually, because no, I think I don't totally agree with that. Actually, I think that the whole high scene in the the later part of the film, I think, is one of the best scenes in the whole movie. When they're actually like competing with Danny, who I guess is the rival spy, whose name I had to Google because I couldn't fucking remember. <laughs> and like, I thought all that was excellent. Like the whole the whole game that they're playing in there, um, and, like trying to get in and out. I don't know, man. Like I can't really tell you scene by scene what happened or even describe it more broadly than that. I'll just say that I thought it was an excellent big Hollywood kind of spy drama scene with a lot of like fun and humor that was reminiscent reminiscent of like something you can see in like Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was sort of like Ocean's Eleven mixed with like sort of a Bond type character. Um, which, yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I thought, I guess I did end up thinking the sort of setup of it was more interesting than the 
you know, the actual operation itself. Um, cause I thought like Guy Ritchie directing action, I don't know if he's very good at it. Like I thought, I don't, it just, it just felt very generic to me. Um, and so, you know, mix sort of, sort of gen- generic action with, you know, an unclear premise or operation. It was just kind of like, ah, that doesn't really work. I'd rather go back and like listen to the characters, you know, chide each other. And well, that's the thing too. Is like all that stuff is great. The character dialogue is really good. Their dynamics really excellent. And I want to go back to the Aubrey Plaza aspect. This again, I think that's something that's sort of lost in the contemporary culture is like, and that's something that's really, really part of Bond films and really, really part of like old noir films too. um, Is uh, like how powerful women are against men who are helpless against them. And I thought that Aubrey mm-hmm. Plaza brought back this kind of old Hollywood attitude of like the power, like an old school, like almost second wave feminism where like she's in control of the scenes and dominating this billionaire because she's so hot and sexy and charismatic and he's falling for all her bullshit. And uh, I don't know, man, I thought that was really, really cool. I haven't seen a movie really play into that in a long time. It felt very old Hollywood mm-hmm. and I liked it a lot. It was really, really refreshing to see because I think it's something that's sort of lost in the culture now where like we have this sort of attitude that like, you know, women are constantly victims of men, but like being a woman, like, you know, I, I listen to a podcast that was a red scare and they make this argument all the time. Like being a woman, like there's a lot of power you have over men. We're big dopes. Like if you're really sexy and, you know, charismatic, like you can get us to pay you money in OnlyFans and take our lives away. Like, mm-hmm. You have that ability. You have that power. <laughs> 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 we will simp for you. We'll send you cash. <laughs> So that was really cool. And I think that Guy Ritchie, you know, he's really in touch with, like, what makes movies interesting. And he, like, compiles a lot of those elements into this film here. But is the plot coherent? No, it's not. (laughs) Yeah, it sort of makes it a little bit difficult to talk about, to be honest. It does. Um, It does. Because, like, I thought it was funny because, like, the fact that you and I both have the same reaction was like, do you really know what happened? And you're like, no. (laughs) And I'm like... I didn't either. I got to tell you, but I sat through the whole thing and definitely liked it. But I definitely, I definitely actually thought the first act was a little slower than the the second. I really got into the movie after a while because I felt like I started understanding what it was going for. So I started sort of rooting for the emotional, <laughs> the emotional flow of the movie instead of the characters themselves, which is interesting. So, yeah, I don't know. It might just be one of those things that you have to see a couple times or, you know, because again, like watching it the first time and like, you know, we, we were doing a baseball draft, um, <clears throat> in the middle of it. And like, I, I had gone to dinner, like I, I saw a 65 in this back to back and had like a few drinks in between. So like, I, I don't know, maybe I was just like a little bit fuzzy or, or something, but I watching it the second time, at least the first hour, a uh, second time, um, like I, I definitely understood more of what what was going on the second time, and more of like what the operation was, and the the sort of competing spy groups that were that were happening. Whereas like it, it just kind of was like jumbled nonsense the first time. So I don't know. Maybe if I watched the entire thing a second time, um, then I would sort of be able to put together exactly what was going on in the second half. But like, I don't know. It it kind of just wasn't entertaining enough for me to want to go back to watch it um which is weird because like there's a there's sort of like a sequel tease that it has where like i don't know if they were sort of aiming for this to be kind of like a bond like franchise but um i mean i'll I'll take it bond sucks so you know yeah um (laughs) well i mean this failed so 
this there's not going to be a second one it is it is capturing a lot of what it's definitely a different tone than a bond movie but it does capture a lot what makes the old especially the old ones charming you know yeah i mean i I think it's that that sort of like globe trotting thing it's got you know i i do think jason statham is like genuinely charming and interesting and funny in this um and he actually like you know some of his like physical sort of like stunt work is is pretty fun too um yeah, I don't know. I liked it. I'll say this, though. The, one of the reasons the plot bombs out is because it relies on a backstory that's just sort of told to us by the characters early on where they're like, oh, God, this is the rival spy, Danny. And you're just like, they have all this, like, Danny's getting away with this. It's Danny. It's like, who the fuck is Danny? Like, we don't really know. Yeah. So then it just, like, devolves into, like, exposition of, like, who Danny is. And you're just like, okay, I got it. He's our nemesis for this film. And I just went with it. But I still don't know if I really care or I'm glad they defeated Danny or not. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can tell you I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but I did like it. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> I, this is a tough one to talk about. I just say that I enjoyed it while it was on screen. But I think the second that I left the theater, I was like, you know, that was it. I saw that movie. <laughs> I have nothing really to analyze about it. Mm, yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I, I think it's more of just sort of like a style than anything else. And it's sort of hit or miss on that. It is. I agree. Um, all right. Well, let's move on. Fuck this. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Let me pee in the I mean, seat. I tried to do that the first time, and then you made me go back and watch it. Oh, yeah, that's true. All right, now, now that we've got that very interesting in-depth conversation done about Operation Fortune, <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to a movie about Adam Driver shooting dinosaurs in a beat-the-clock film about the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs. <laughs> that, goddamn it, that was so funny to me. <laughs> when they reveal the asteroid, and I'm like, once they, like, because it's obvious that he's on Earth immediately because the titles tell us on Earth, 65 million years ago when he lands, and then you see the asteroid, I was like, oh my god, it's gonna be him beating the fucking asteroid as it's about to kill oh, the dinosaur. Jesus. <laughs> so absurd, so funny, and like, ah, god damn it. But, I, I, I literally, I giggled every fucking time I mean, they showed the asteroid. Not? It's asinine. And then he keeps looking <laughs> at it with his stupid little fucking, you know, <laughs> his little personal computer thing. <laughs> <laughs> God. God, I couldn't believe it was real. I just like describing the plot to people. They're like, that sounds like the worst movie ever made. I'm like, it's actually not. It's really good. It's a really good movie. I, I It's a solid three stars for me. Uh, I liked it a lot. Um, I'll start us out on this one, I guess. So for me, it was like uh, I went into this movie expecting nothing. Brad wanted this. I would have skipped this one. Brad wanted to see this for the show. So mm-hmm. let's just like get that out there right now. And I had no hope for it at all um, other than he was Sam Reamer. I didn't really either, by the way. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Other than that, like Sam Reamer produced it, you know, and like I was, you know, a unique movie coming out of Hollywood, not based on a franchise with CGI and dinosaurs. Like, whatever. I'll give it a shot. Uh it's ridiculous. It's asinine. It's like hilariously bad at points. I also really, really enjoyed it. I think there's something that's really, really cool and pulpy and almost like 1970s uh, about the film where like the <clears throat> it has this sort of like 
asinine premise that would be really, really cool maybe like 50, 60 years ago where like someone would land on Earth and they're another human race, but it would be Earth before humans were here. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's really funny and silly. Um, and then it has all this kind of human plot element where, like, this guy is trying to, like, cure his daughter of this illness. That's why he's taking this cargo ship trip uh, into space around Earth. And, like, you know, there's a little girl on the planet like that's part of his cargo that he now has to stay with and rescue. And it has all this kind of human moment stuff that's, that is honestly, like, kind of affecting and, like, much better than I expected. But ultimately, the film was just about... It's a you know it's a traversing the landscape movie about a guy killing dinosaurs, and that's yeah. why we're here. And I think to that end, it kind of works in all regards. Um, I like the effects a lot, not because I think they're particularly good. We'll talk about that more in depth now. Um, but um, I don't know, man. I, I definitely enjoyed it much more than I thought I was going to. I think that it has some really bad moments, but I want to see more movies like this because it was really unique. I don't think that it was like it wasn't like you know we should have we should have compared this we should have tied this in with cocaine barrier totally right because they're both doing something different they're both looking back and then they're both bringing modern effects into like something that's like sort of like a classical take on something but I think this one does a much better job of it because its special effects are much more crafted into the scenes it knows that CGI is not enough to sell the scene so a lot of it's sort of hidden it's in the background it's a little blurry the dinosaurs are really dark um, and it makes the effects really like a lot more compelling than something like Cocaine Bear. Honestly, I thought this was some of the best use of CGI I've seen in a long, long time. Certainly better than Avatar. So that's my hot take. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I agree actually. Um, and you know, to the the you know the point about tying it to Cocaine Bear, which our our point on that was was basically that the CGI was front and center and it was fucking terrible. Um, I actually think the CGI in this is just as fucking terrible, <laughs> except it it understands that it's terrible and it develops all these sort of like workarounds and really attempts to like hide the CGI in the scene. So instead of like seeing the whole dinosaur in the middle of the frame with bright lights on it, you know, it shows its, you know, its eyes and snout like in the bushes or something. So like. You don't quite see it. It kind of hints at it or something. You just get like the suspense of it. You know that there's a dangerous creature out there. Like, I, I don't know. Like it just, it just uses CGI to like hint at things, uh, more than to like dominate the, the, the whole film and be the spectacle. Um, until the end, that is the last, yeah. the last 15 minutes are, kind of atrocious you mean but the, the t-rex attacking the ship that was they're trying to escape the asteroid from to go back into space <laughs> uh-huh yeah uh, again the ass where they have to get off of earth in 10 minutes before the asteroid that annihilates all the dinosaurs <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. yeah and then it becomes a duel to beat the clock scenario where they're not even trying to beat the asteroid they have to beat the t-rex that's trying to destroy the ship yeah <laughs> 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 I don't know, man. Like, I agree with you. The last sequence is where the the, the CGI starts to show its ass because I think the T Rex is so stupid. Um, and well, like... <laughs> I mean, again, it's it's just that like the CGI was ass all the way all, all the way through. It's just that until the end, uh, it's you know it's sort of hidden, and in the end, it's just like, hey, look at this T Rex, and I don't care about that T Rex. <laughs> yeah, uh, I agree. Um, it is sort of odd that they went with that at the end. It was almost like they're like, okay, we have to show the full dinosaurs because that's a requirement. People are going to want to know what they really look like, and the you know uh. that yeah, see <laughs> that struck me as like a like an out of touch producer 
that like no we we gotta have it we gotta have this trailer moment you know or whatever whereas like the rest of it was like it's i don't know who this filmmaker was but like scott beck just, and brian woods they're a, they're a duo yeah they they just seem to have a very clear understanding that they don't have a big budget and their effects aren't that great so they have to kind of hide it and and develop workarounds that were very interesting you know like again you mentioned his sort of like Adam Driver's like personal computer thing. He carries around this thing that can like analyze the environment or anything, point it toward anything, and it shows like a 3D, you know, diagram of it. And so like there's a scene where he ends up fighting a dinosaur and it shows the dinosaur like coming at him. He drops the device and then it just does like the camera does like a 360 around the like the 3D rendering of the fight instead of showing, you know, the actual CGI fight. And it's like, like a much more interesting presentation than watching me, you're like making me watch a fucking shitty CGI dinosaur fight a human being. Are you talking about the scene in the cave? Um, I don't know if it was in the cave or not. I can't oh, remember God. exactly there where it was. There are a couple scenes but... I want to mention, but yeah, th- there's some, there's some great moments like that. The other one was in the cave too, where like he gets trapped in this cave for a while and the little girl escapes it and he's trying to get out and we know there's a dinosaur in the cave, but he doesn't. And so like the lights go out and it's just him trying to like watch the dinosaur on the bleep of his radar. Um, and then also like just the light from his equipment is the only thing lighting the scene. So we never really see the dino. Awesome really yeah really well done excellent <laughs> yeah again a great workaround rather than like hey let's fully light the scene and look at this ass looking dinosaur <laughs> yeah totally and i also like too like again this is a film that's harkening back to like not only that pulp fiction that you would read in like you know serial magazines uh back in the day but also like to blade runner a little bit with like some of the lighting and the alien right like when he's traversing the darkness and he's got that sort of radar bleep mm-hmm. that's right out of release scott so i like those those kind of like odes in there and then also, um, even though he's relying on more CGI than those movies would, the film craft that those movies like deploy, that's, that's on display here. It's like these guys have obviously seen those movies. They understand why they're good, and they reflected them in this in a very, very mm-hmm. effective way that Cocaine Bear did not. So, Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I also like the, the sort of dynamic between Adam Driver and this – you know, this like 13 year old girl who doesn't speak his language, you know, and so like they're they're basically not, you know, they're finding other ways to communicate. She can't like actually express herself, you know, very well to he's speaking English, which I don't know. He's from a different planet. But um, whereas like she speaks a different language. I thought the I, th- I just thought that dynamic was actually kind of interesting. Like, I think if they could have spoken, if they both spoke English, like probably wouldn't have been that interesting like the dialogue probably isn't that deep or anything so like just that added like sort of element or obstacle of like him having to kind of like figure out or like interpret what she was saying like i don't know i thought i thought it kind of worked i thought it was interesting oh bro you brought up a good point i didn't even think about that that actually creates the human element in the movie it makes it much more effective because the only thing she understands is family he's able to draw that yeah. out where she's like, okay, I'm going to go see my parents. But he already knows they're dead because uh, his whole you know, his whole cargo died and her parents were aboard the ship. But he can't tell her that. So he has these moments in the movie, too, where he's, like, telling her, like, yeah, we're going to see family. And he's like, I'm lying to you and you don't even understand. I thought this stuff was, like, yeah. kind of good and affecting. It's so weird to me that it's able to capture human moments where I really felt like I was rooting for them in a way I can't say about, like, um, a movie I've seen in a while where, like, I really wanted them to get home. 
Um, and I thought mm-hmm. like the setup to like his daughter has this disease and we don't really know what her fate is. And when his ship crashes on Earth 65 million years ago, um, he gets out and he's like, there's no survivors. And he puts a gun in his mouth and he's going to kill himself. And it was at that moment that we realized his daughter died. He got a message saying she died. Yeah. Dude, I thought that was very affecting and really good for yeah. something that had such a silly setup. So, well, you know, and and again, not not like explicitly telling us, but like right. telling us through his actions. You know, I thought that was yeah, I thought that was actually like kind of great, and it was like in the sort of like first ten or so minutes of the movie, and so that kind of set me up like you know I was I went into this thing it was gonna be a piece of shit, and it <laughs> sort did. of set me up as like maybe it's not that like that was kind of my first indication that it was like. I don't know, maybe there's something here, and there was. It hooked me right in. I think this is a, yeah. one thing that this movie does that movies are not doing nowadays, and again, this is why, other than the CGI, take all of that like aside for a moment. One thing this movie does that a movie does not do nowadays is it trusts the audience to infer things, and movies yeah. don't do that anymore, and this really does that. It trusts us to understand that his daughter died. It trusts us to understand that he's protecting this little girl because he's now associating her as like his daughter, and he's a father figure to her. He's really dedicated to her. He cares about her. It's trusting us to understand that even though we're not seeing the dinosaurs, they're there, and they're still a constant threat. It's fucking awesome. It's very, very good. Um, I don't know, man. This is like an incredible display of craft for a movie that is honestly like just if you were to explain it to somebody, just so fucking dumb, so stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't believe this is real. I've not seen it. Like, I don't even know if I can come up with a movie in the last decade that's even similar to this. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Um, you know, you mentioned that like I we saw this because I said so, but like it was literally just just going through upcoming releases that weren't franchise films and so i was like oh 65 but like i remember watching the trailer because like i think i threw this out operation fortune that champions movie that the Fairleys did yeah and and then it was like all right we'll do we'll do a couple of those and then i i remember watching the trailers for all of them and it just texted it was like these all look like fucking shit they do. And so, yeah, and, and like, you know, so like the marketing for this was all wrong, but like the movie itself, there's actually a lot of talent here. There's a lot of craft and I would actually really like to see what these directors would do with a real budget or maybe a little bit of a better script. Because uh, I think, I, I don't know, they showed a lot of skill here and I was, I was kind of impressed even though it's it is kind of like a seventies sort of B movie. Yeah, and the fact that it's not a franchise too, it doesn't fall into that kind of stuff we were talking earlier about Chris Pine. Where like the studio doesn't expect this to make three hundred million dollars and go global. It's just enough effects and just enough I don't know what the budget was in this. I'm gonna look. Um, I can't imagine I would guess like forty million dollars. Uh forty five. Actually higher than oh, Cocaine okay. Bear. So <laughs> Okay, Cocaine Bear apparently at thirty five. So Jesus um, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, it's it's really cool. Like, I want to see more movies like this. Like, do you remember in, like, the 80s and the 90s, like, all these, like, original sci-fi movies and original fantasy movies that would come out? Like, The Last Starfighter yeah. was one of my favorites as a kid. Like, you don't see movies like this anymore. And, like, this really harkens back to a time where Hollywood did unique, isolated projects. There's not going to be a sequel to this. There's no sequel tease. The dinosaurs are all dead. <laughs> the asteroid killed them. They're not going to make another one, you know? And, like, this feels like something Do that th- is, is like, an, you know, an, it'll fit. It'll be almost timeless in that way. So. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. 
I was going to make a stupid joke, but no, go ahead. I'll make pass. a joke. Do it. I was going to say, do you think there won't be a sequel because audience wouldn't be able to understand that 64 was the second film? <laughs> uh, that was a good one, Brad. cut it. Yep. Let's Thanks. Cut that, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This one of those movies where, like, I don't have a whole lot to say about it except that I hope I see more movies like this. I want to see Hollywood taking risks, doing original projects. Even if it's silly and it's asinine, like, trust that, like, I'm going to the movies to have a good time. And if there's craft on display, I'm going to enjoy it. It doesn't have to be loaded with the best effects. It can have, like, mediocre effects and still be really good. I don't know, man. I thought this was excellent. One of my favorite scenes, and I, I think you like this scene as well, is when they first introduce the dinosaurs to us, they're somewhat vague. But, like, the first time we really see them is, like, there's this little dino trapped in this tar pit. And the little girl runs to go get the dino out. And Adam Driver's really pissed because he's trying to protect her. And they pull the dinosaur out, and it almost looks like a puppet. It almost looks like mammalian. It's smiling. It's a little baby dinosaur. Yeah. And it walks out of the tar pit, and it gets murdered by raptors immediately. I laughed out loud. I thought that was an excellent scene. Yeah. An excellent way to introduce us to the effects. So <laughs> yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah. I don't know. And and I actually did think it was a puppet too. Uh, it may have been. I don't know. It looked like one. <clears throat> they did a really good job. I th- definitely felt like I definitely got a puppet vibe from it. It was really neat. It was like, a very small dinosaur, so I think I think maybe they could have gotten away with a puppet. But um, yeah, just I don't know. Yeah, spending that seems all great. this time on the puppet for the two seconds it's on screen. All right, smile it. Let's kill it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's it. I don't really yeah. have nothing else to say other than like go see it. It's excellent. It's much it's worth your time much more than these Marvel films. I think it's it's really cool. I think that it's it's something Hollywood hasn't in a long time. So Yeah, I totally agree. Is that it? Do we have anything else to say, Brad? Are we done? No, I think that's it. All right, that's it. Uh, so email the show at thecinematictangent at gmail.com. Either Brad or I will really respond to you. We're not on social media. That's part of the gimmick of the show. Uh, you can also find us at thecinematictangent.com for all of your cinematic tangent needs. Uh, that's it. I'm uh, Chavin Olsen. I'm Bradley Renner. And we are out. Uh, that's it, my friends. Uh, we'll be back soon. Goodbye.